Hello, space nerds. Welcome to Raktagino and Root Beer, a Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm Matthew. And I'm Michael. On this podcast, we are reviewing every Deep Space Nine episode from the pilot to the finale. It'll be so exciting, it's going to give you umox. Pull up a chair and join in the discussion over some Raktagino and Root Beer. If you would like to contact us, set hailing frequencies to rrds9podcast at gmail.com. Today on the show, we are going to review Season 2, Episodes 21 and 22, The Maquis Part 2, and The Wire. Michael, why don't you start us off with a synopsis of that ever-simple episode, The Maquis Part 2. <laughs> okay, this is enormously complicated, so I'm going to really simplify it, I hope. Uh, so, the cl- the cliffhanger that, uh, that ended the Part 1 is resolved, where... Uh, Calvin Hudson shoots his old friend uh, Cisco, <laughs> along with uh, Bashir and uh, Kira, and and uh, and escapes. Cisco returns to DS Nine, um, where he gets into a huge argument with uh, an admiral who who dismisses the Maquis as a bunch of hotheads and just says, you know, it's a it's a minor inconvenience, basically. You know, uh, talk to your friend Calvin Hudson. Cisco still doesn't snitch on Hudson. Yeah. Uh, talk to your friend Calvin and then, you know, f- uh, figure this out. So then Cisco gets, get just is furious, uh, tells Kira that, that people on Earth don't get it uh, because on Earth there's no poverty, there's no conflict, and uh, it, it's impossible for them to, to realize the... the the realities in, in the uh, demilitarized zone and what the colonists have to do. Um, and then he he decides to go rescue uh, Gal Dukat. Um, they find Gal Dukat who is, uh, is being not exactly tortured, interrogated by the colonists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sakona is back and trying to do a, a mind meld with him, which doesn't work. Was that part one or part two? No, part two she okay. does it, yeah. Um, it doesn't work because of his uh, mental conditioning, uh, which is a nice touch. So Cisco, Kira, and Bashir show up to save the day. Cisco once again tries to settle things peacefully uh, through dialogue. It doesn't work because Galdukat <laughs> just keeps saying, "Just shoot them." <laughs> Finally, uh, smacks Sakona out of the way yet again. He hits. He hits for Sakona. And, and a firefight ensues, and uh, they rescue Galdicat and, and get the heck out of there. They once again return to DS9 with Galdicat. I'm not even going to get into the uh, B-plot with Quark uh, about the gun smuggling, but essentially they, they realize that the Maquis are targeting a Cardassian weapons depot, um, and, they, and Cisco uh, goes in pursuit. Uh, tracks down the Maquis led by Calvin. They engage in the lamest firefight ever because neither one wants to kill the other. They disable each other's weapons and ultimately uh, Cisco lets his friend uh, leave peacefully. Um, so he returns. Kira says you should be very proud of yourself. You've avoided uh, the outbreak of war and he says it's sort of left hanging. Um, did I just prevent? Did I prevent war, or did I delay it? That was an incredibly sim- simplified synopsis of this episode. It was very well done. Thank you, Michael. Um, so, how did you feel about the part two of this two-parter? 
Um, I I didn't like it as much as part one, maybe because there wasn't as much uh, Quark and Sakona, <laughs> my my new favorite couple. Um, I I yeah I I didn't find like I I found it interesting the realization on behalf of Cisco that the Federation really had essentially abandoned these colonists and that the treaty clearly was not working. Yeah. And that and that the the authorities within the the Federation didn't understand um the realities on the ground and and that the treaty was essentially a failure or soon to be a failure. So he had to sort it out himself. Um Yeah. Uh all the admirals are, are of Starfleet are either inept or insane. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a recurring it's theme. It's a recurring theme. Um, so I, I, I kind of enjoyed that. But I the back and forth between him and Calvin Hudson, the, the strange firefight that they have. Oh, I see. The dog I, fight I liked the, the dogfight because yeah. it was actually... There was actually a scene of like ships flying around and shooting one another, and there was like sure, yeah. there was like almost like a GoPro moment where they were like <laughs> it was attached to the the, the runabout. It was like woot 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 woot, you know. You like the they obviously watched Top Gun before they filmed that scene. Yeah, yeah. it was it was okay. I I just felt that it was it was uh, I I knew essentially. Well, you know what? I thought ultimately Cisco might have made the decision to to uh, destroy his friend's ship, but. Yeah, I I thought that might be a possibility too, and then he mm-hmm. didn't. And then reading the trivia, Iris Stephen Bearer wanted to kill off Cal Hudson at the end. And, oh, uh, he did. Mm-hmm. And Michael Pillar uh, said no, and then Michael Pillar, you were wrong. And Michael Pillar then uh, apparently later said he'd been watching the episode, and he said, "You know what, Ira, you you were correct. Uh-huh. You should have killed off Cal." <laughs> And uh, I think that maybe was the the missing thing that would have made it a more impactful episode, um, if if it, there had been that. It is still that classic DS Nine ending where where it's left unresolved. Um, yeah. Which is which is which is a good ending in of itself. That clear, yeah. clearly the Maquis has the problem of the Maquis has not been solved. Uh, yeah. As we know from what happens afterwards. And I really liked that last shot of Cisco sitting in his uh, office. It was like a wide shot of him sitting there. And I thought that was a nice kind of thematic kind of... It was almost like a Mad Men moment, you know, where he's... It's showing him thinking about the magnitude of what's happening in the, the Federation. Yeah. And apparently, I guess, Ira Stephen Bayer wrote this episode... And he later went on to become the showrunner of DS9 from about the middle of the third season. He started being co-showrunner and then he became the major showrunner from the third season onward. And he was very proud of that speech. The There's no... What is it about... Uh, there's no problems in paradise. It's easy to be a saint in paradise. Yeah. And... Uh, the acting, maybe not my favorite part of that uh, that scene, but mm. I like this idea, and I think this is where DS9 starts to move away from the next generation, because Gene Roddenberry's vision was always about showing an aspirational future where all the problems of the past have been solved. Mm-hmm. And Iris Stephen Bear was, apparently, even when he was working on t- uh, The Next Generation, he was always trying to get stories in about how there actually were problems or that this was a more complicated uh, situation than 
they portrayed, mm-hmm. but uh, Rick Berman and, and uh, Gene Roddenberry were always killing these ideas because they wanted to ha- maintain this, uh, you know, aspirational idea. And so he's kind of getting around it by saying that, yes, Earth society is perfect, but it doesn't extend to the entire Federation. And that this is actually even in some ways a, a block for the Federation, that they they think all problems have been solved and yet mm-hmm. they haven't been. And so I, I think it's a I think it's a great way to reconceptualize the Star Trek universe and it's gonna lead into what the future is gonna hold, you know? And I think that's that's cool. You can also see why some people hate DS9 for this very reason, because they've kind of they're kind of moving away from that that dream of the socialists and the fancy lounge, you know. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's. I guess this is almost like a turning point for the series of um, where it's going to head to in the future. I I found it a really interesting scene with the paradise on Earth. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and it, 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 it as I said, it kind of changes your whole impression of what mm-hmm. the Star Trek universe has been thought of before now. It, it also helps to, to further uh, illuminate Cisco's character uh, as someone who's on the front lines and, un- and understands that it's, it's uh, understands the actual complexities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's supposed to be out in the middle of nowhere and he has to deal with the facts on the ground, not with this idealized solution that some mm-hmm. people are sometimes promoting. So... In terms of that, I think it, it is a very interesting episode. I, I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than you. I think it could have been more narratively stronger if Kamala mm. died at the end, uh, because that would have... I mean, this they set it up that Cisco and Cal are great friends, and then if he had killed one of his good friends... Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that says a lot about his character, and says yeah. a lot about... Um, you know, his ideas of duty and, you know, what you have to uphold and everything. It yeah, I I I said that there were no real good moments between Quark and Sakona. I'm incorrect. I I take that back. There is that scene where uh, Quark is trying to reason with her and talk about peace, yeah. and it's a really interesting idea exactly, yeah. from a Ferengi perspective, where he says, you know, she's like, okay, we're basically going to full out war now. There's no backing down, and and he says. He looks at it in terms of a business transaction, and, yeah. he, and he says peace is incredibly cheap right now, and this is the time actually to, to yeah. do it. Never pay more for an acquisition than you have to. That's yes. what he says as a third rule. Yeah, and and I like that too because it is once again, I think I mentioned this before. I love when non-human characters present the solution to a problem in a way that doesn't rely on some sort of, like, mm-hmm. human reason. Mm-hmm. And he's presenting it from this profit-based reason, and it's great. It's a great thing it to is. do. And it, it's, once again, yeah, the interaction between the Ferengi and the Vulcans, like, we've probably never really seen this interaction before, and it is so fascinating to see them. It's and fun. he convinces her. When I was writing my notes and after that scene happened, I, I wrote down, Quark for UN Ambassador. <laughs> yeah. I think he's great. Yeah, yeah, and once again, showing showing the strength of this that it, the the strength being that we're looking at things from all sorts of different philosophical viewpoints and coming to new conclusions and new ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I liked I in the last episode I talked about how the great thing about their Cardassians are that they are smooth, that they never seem flustered. And then there's this moment in this episode where Cisco reveals to Galdacott that the central command for the Cardassians has been smuggling weapons to the colonists. Mm-hmm. And he is surprised. And then he likes is surprised for a moment and then he quickly just assimilates it and then is smooth right. once again. Right. And I really like that moment too where it's revealing, uh, it's showing once again that kind of interesting depths of these Cardassian personalities. Oh, and also the moment too when they're on the runabout and they encounter the, mm. the traders who are selling the weapons to the, the colonists. Right. And at first they try to go the peace route because right. Golukot said, let's let's destroy their command center and then tow them back to the station. <laughs> yeah. Like, just a horrible... Just murder them? Just murder them. Like, yeah. some horrible... Like, murder people who are actually doing business for his own people. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Cisco's like, now we're going to do this peace the peaceful way and so they start doing it the peaceful way and it's not mm. working out and then Khan <laughs> just comes over and just like dresses down the commander yeah. I'm Gal Dukat yeah doesn't and, he he gives him a countdown too yeah he yeah. gives him a countdown and the guy's like please stop counting down yeah. and that he was says, I, I don't understand amazing. I don't understand the Cardassians have already paid me <laughs> yeah no, that was amazing. That was a yeah. great, great scene where, once again, the Federation tried to do it the peaceful way, but it didn't work. And the Cardassians had to right. come in and save it. And then when they rescue him um, from the Maquis, and, and he just says, just shoot them, just shoot them. <laughs> and he gets, he, gets so so fed, he gets so fed up that he starts the firefight himself <laughs> by hitting uh, Sakona out of the way. Poor Sakona. She's probably suffering some sort of concussion at this point. <laughs> oh, no. She's been hit around so many times. She's had a, yeah, she's had a rough uh, week. Yeah. Uh, it was great, too, that... that it was revealed that Cardassians, if they've been trained well, mm-hmm. can resist Vulcan mind melds, uh, which was a surprise to Sakona. Um, I mean, perhaps Sakona is not the best at mind melds. Maybe if Spock did it, he'd totally get Maybe. into it, you know. But uh, yeah, that was that was really cool. The moment actually, sort going back to the moment in the runabout with uh, Gul Dukat yelling at the uh, the alien smugglers. When he sits down after yelling at them, Kira looks at him, and there's like a weird, like almost admiration. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I was reading some trivia afterwards, and Nana Visitor was saying like, Kira cannot love uh, Golducott or find him admirable in any way whatsoever because he's he's basically Hitler to her. Yeah. Um, but there is a moment where she's impressed. By, because she's impressed by people being a like assertive and because that's what she is like. Yeah. So it that was an interesting moment. Like there's mm. it's some great uh, mm. some great moments with the Cardassians here. Um, I'm gonna mention Cisco when he finds out about the the smuggling goes to the colonists, uh, beams down, uh, and, and interrupts their uh, I guess conference or their city counselor or whatever and uh and then cal comes in and tells him off and says leave us alone whatever and cisco had brought his uniform to cal 
and then Cal, in a tote bag in a tote bag a lovely mm. little uh, you know carrier bag you know mm-hmm. he's, like he's about to go uh, carrying it down the street and uh, he puts it out for Cal and Cal takes out his phaser and uh, disintegrates it which if you think about it if he'd like slightly missed or something like that wouldn't he have disintegrated his friend out of existence well uh, as we've seen in previous DS9 episodes Starfleet is loves uh, disintegrating things with their phasers when they're on tables yeah or or just it, it, close to yeah. close to human beings so they're just really good at it and they, I'm sure he just couldn't resist resist the temptation <laughs> so yeah there was a bit of a problem there they also just let Cisco go at that point where I was like didn't they previously have him like in a uh, didn't they try mm-hmm. to capture him earlier so why are they just letting him go mm-hmm. I don't really know but um yeah, the uh, the colonists um, once again looked horrible. There's some uh, satin polka dot fantasies on this uh, on these <laughs> colonists, but you know, interesting you know, textile choices uh, what they were wearing. I suppose they just don't get the. I may latest. have seen a poncho on one of them. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't verify, but yeah. But um, oh yeah, and, uh, the other thing we need to get to is the fact that Quark did actually sell her weapons. Mm-hmm. So he is a, a he is gun a gun smuggler. I I was thinking about that. I mean, as we as we said before, um, Quark's misdeeds are, are sometimes bordering on full on evil. Yeah, uh, and sometimes he's just a, a mischief maker. And I and that was that was a pretty terrible decision. Yeah. I mean, they said, and this was this was perhaps showing Quark. Sometimes Quark. Is presented as being very good at negotiations and kind of skullduggery and sometimes mm-hmm. he's portrayed as being kind of not so great at it mm-hmm. but he indicates in the the security office that he didn't actually sell the weapons he just introduced the two oh there was together. A, he was the middleman yeah. yeah and uh and so maybe that's how we're supposed to kind of i don't uh, know if that totally assages his his moral guilt in it, though. I mean, yeah. I don't know. And, um, I guess the fact that he kind of helps prevent anything further, it's once again, like, when he, um, let the people onto the station who tried to steal Dax's symbiont, mm-hmm. because he kind of saves the day at the end, right. they kind of let him off, and here he kind of does some nice things, so like, okay, let's cancel it out. They're like, oh, you. Okay. <laughs> what a charmer. Yeah. But uh, I, I I know you're trying to protect me from spoilers, but does Sikona ever come back? I actually don't know if Sikona comes back. I don't think she does. She's on uh, Voyager. Is she? I don't remember her on Voyager. Really? The the actress, not Sikona, but uh, oh, okay, she played okay. um, she played one of the fellow Borg of Seven of Nine. Oh wow! Yeah. So she was murdered. Uh no she. Well, I mean, she wasn't she was murdered. killed off. I mean, yeah, she's she dies because she, they like take her implants out, but she only has a couple months, like a month to live or something like that, mm. and then she dies. So, but I I thought she was great. Sakana was great. She did pronounce what really weirdly. She kept saying what, what, why, what. Classical training. <laughs> I don't know what that would be. <laughs> Maybe that's the Vulcan uh, dialect that she speaks. I really liked her outfit, too. Oh, she had a good outfit. Yeah. Um, I, I prevented you from reading the background on this, but apparently they had her in a 
much more revealing outfit. Mm. And then they were like, no, it's too far. We have to just put her in this. But she did look good. Like, on a scale of zero to T'Pol, she was at a... <laughs> <laughs> Which is T'Pol sexy? I can't <laughs> remember. That's the Enterprise Vulcan. Oh, yeah. That's the... That's verging on ridiculous. Yeah, no, apparently she was, like, in a really scandalous outfit, but... Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, she was great. I... The Vulcans are fun, you know? They, they come around, they just... They want to kill everyone's fun, and they, um... They do it mm. in such a fun way, though. Yeah. <laughs> I just... I think Sakana's such a... When you see a Vulcan doing something, um... Against character, perhaps. Yeah. Like, like uh, fighting for the Maquis. I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, do you have anything further you want to bring up about the Maquis Part 2? No, um, do you? <laughs> no, I do <laughs> okay. not. Okay. Let's move on to more fun with the Cardassians with The Wire, episode 22. Matthew, please give the synopsis. Okay. So this one is a little bit easier to give a synopsis. Um, it starts off with our favorite eye-rolling Cardassian, uh, Garrick, on the promenade with Bashir, and they're about to go to the Replomat, their favorite place to get lunch. But it's very busy, and while they're trying to get um, lunch, Garrick starts to have some sort of head pains, but he resists all attempts by Bashir to deal with these uh, headaches. Over a few days, the pains become worse and worse, and so Bashir takes him into the infirmary, where he discovers not only that Cardassian brains seem to be uh, anatomically identical to human brains, but that uh, he has some sort of wire thing inside of his head, and uh, he can't figure out what, what its purpose is, but when uh, Garrick wakes up, he reveals that it is a device that was implanted in him by the Obsidian Order to make him basically uh, impermeable to torture. Mm -hmm. Whenever he's tortured, he apparently receives a a burst of endorphins that makes uh, torture, in fact, pleasurable. Um, And uh, the thing is, though, once he was exiled onto the station, he began to perceive his exile as torture, and so... He started to turn it on and began to use it more and more frequently. And so we get to the situation that we are realizing that this is a drug story, a Nancy Reagan don't do drugs story. (laughs) Nancy Reagan don't have a Cardassian wire implanted in your brain to give you endorphins. And uh, Bashir helps Garrick get through his withdrawal. But... Um, even while he's going through the withdrawal, Garrick appears to be uh, degenerating physically, and so uh, Bashir needs to find out more details about Cardassian physiology, and he contacts um, the head of the Obsidian Order, who is an Aubrantain, and uh, is apparently invited to come to Cardassian Prime to see an Aubrin. And when he's there, he finds out that um, he finds a solution for the problem, and also finds out that Garrick has been telling the truth about some things and lying about other things. Garrick had been continuously telling the story about him and a fellow Cardassian named Elim, but Anabrin tells him that they are the same person. That Garrick's first name is Elim Garrick, 
And the 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 episode ends uh, with Garrick being totally fine. Their lunch is resuming, and uh, once again he's spreading more disinformation and lies in a delightfully campy way. Eye rolling. Yes. More eye rolling. Lots of eye rolling. Lots of oh. <laughs> Can't see it, but I'm rolling my eyes very expressively <laughs> right now. It, yeah. I. Uh, that was very well done. Now, Thank you. Now, what did you think of this episode? Um, I mean, in terms of the characterization of Garrick, I, I like Garrick a lot, so I'm, I'm happy with that. I hate uh, drug episodes. I hate them so much. I always feel they're kind of dumb. They always have that trope with, with the friend standing by the drug addict where it's, a mo- it's always a montage. Uh-huh. All this time passes, and then the friend acts like a complete ass. Yeah. A total jerk to the other person and yeah and the one who's going with, withdrawal symptoms is yeah. like a jerk and says all sorts of stuff and yeah the truth comes out and then the truth yeah oh, blah, blah. yeah the the i was kind of bored by the fact that there was just the scene in the middle where nothing's happening where you're just basically waiting for garrick to get over his mm-hmm. uh, drug addiction and he gets over his drug addiction fairly quickly i have to say like when he is sitting down at the replimat later on he seems to be perfectly fine so I have no idea. Like, was it really that bad? Mm. Do you really need it that much? It's so. it, it's funny. Sorry to interrupt. I was just thinking about how, how uh, DS9 has used different tropes to, to get into the backgrounds of different characters. So we saw the, the drug addict yeah. um, cliche. And with Dax, we saw the courtroom case, which, yep. they, which TNG also did with... Yeah, the measure with, of a man. Yeah, yeah, the measure of a man. Data with with Otto, they did. Um, Odo. Odo, <laughs> pardon me. <laughs> Otto. With Odo, they did um, the Maltese Falcon kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yes, it's interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is a standard Star Trek thing where they kind of use different genre conventions mm-hmm. to to do to do different stories. Because, but specifically as apparatus to to learn more about or give more information about a specific character, it's yeah, it works well. Yeah. yeah, although once again, I was kind of annoyed by this, and I hated that there was one point where they were like trying to sell us on this idea that Garrick was uh, a sweethearted person, and mm. he was like screaming about how he's so wonderful and like he was letting the Bajorans free. I I like Garrick's acting, but I felt that that scene was a little bit too much scenery chewing, um, where he was just like, "Oh, the Bajorans were sick and dying," you know. Yeah. It was just a li- it was too much for me. Too much Garrick. Too much. Uh, if- how, how did you feel? I mean, just because he keeps telling these different stories about why he's been exiled, and and you don't know what's real and what's what's not real. I, Pretty much everything is not real. Yeah, and and then at the end, uh, he has some. His final line to Bashir is, is something totally meaningless. Like the lies have more truth than the truth, or something. Yeah, and totally meaningless. I was personally, uh, I I would have liked a little bit of something to hold on to from yeah. that, rather than an overall impression that whatever he did may have been helping the Bajorans. I'm not quite sure. He had some sort of dark night of the soul. Where he made a moral decision that exiled him, but even I don't even know if that's true or not. Yeah, I wish the story had been a consistent story, but that 
it slowly got more complicated as like it kind of flipped. Mm -hmm. But the problem was that it instead was three different stories in right. many ways. Right. And that's what annoyed me was it's like sure someone can tell me a bunch of lies I don't really care but if you had told me one story and then you told a, the story in a different way mm -hmm. and then you told the story in a third different way I would have felt like oh there's some sort of truth behind this but I don't know what the truth is mm -hmm. whereas it's exactly what you feel like oh I just told three lies yeah and I don't know I, I don't feel like I I've developed any knowledge about Garrick at all. No, all I mean, we only get one concrete piece of information, which is his first name. Yeah, that's it. And that the that he is in some way related to Nanatane oh, and, and, and the Obsidian Order. Yeah, correct. Yeah, because he true. has he wouldn't have had uh, something implanted in his brain. Mm -hmm. um, um, learning about the Obsidian Order was really interesting. I I liked when Quark is trying to is trying to get information. I don't know top secret information on on the wire device and uh he's talking to an old friend and this old cardassian and he gives yeah. him the requisition code and then it's i really enjoyed this scene where the red light starts to go off and the guy <laughs> just starts freaking out like yeah. pork what have you done and, yeah and you're like oh my gosh the the obsidian order is pretty yeah terrifying yeah and they compare it to the tal shiar and say the tal shiar is um not as bad as the obsidian order and right right and yeah and and which I'm is not which revealing... is pretty which is pretty bad I mean, yeah and i'm not revealing anything but i will say that, that's that... the romulan one right? yeah it is yeah, yeah. But the Obsidian Order does play an important role in the stories coming up. Mm. So this is the first mention of it, mm. um, and it is a interesting. Once again, we're getting more detail about what the Cardassian culture is like. We got a little bit idea about what their literature is like at the beginning. I really love that scene yeah. too. I think that might have been one of my. F I mean, aside from the Quark uh, one, where yeah, he kind of blows that one. The uh, the never ending sacrifice I found yeah. fascinating. That idea that that the highlight of their of their literature were just people um, sacrificing their themselves to the state, everything for the state, just being very sort of working hard and uh, leading miserable, <laughs> leading yeah. miserable lives. And the fact that it's repetitive, that it's yeah. that in fact the repetition is the exciting part for the Cardassians. And, yeah. Um, Seven generations of the same family just doing the honorable thing, everything sacrificing for the state. Yeah, yeah. Which of course Garrick is a, is, a, is obsessed with. Um, yeah, and and of course it creates that whole the whole reasoning behind why he feels so tortured on DS Nine is because he has in many ways been separated from the state, mm -hmm. and uh, so he has lost all purpose for living in many ways. Mm. Um, it is, of course, interesting that novels are now on test tubes in the future. Um, I guess those are isolinear chips or something like that, but they do look like test tubes. Um, why, I guess, we're more advanced than uh, them because we could put it on, like, anything, you know? Like, yeah. we have to put it on, like, this little glowing stick. But... Yeah, you, you can just, like, email it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not email it, just download it. And, uh... I don't necessarily. I I wouldn't be doing this, but if you were um, if you were slash writing some slash fic, mm -hmm. uh, this episode would be a good uh, starter for some slash fic for, for Bashir and Garrick. Yeah, there was some like 
there were some a few intimate moments mm. where they looked like they were getting a little close and uh yeah you could totally Espe- run with it if you uh, wanted to especially the wrestling uh wrestling on the ground with each other yep yeah almost murdering one another but maybe in a very sexy way <laughs> <laughs> This is also interesting for the fact that this is the first episode of DS9 that has been directed by a woman, uh, Kim Friedman. Um, I think she goes on to, to direct a bunch more. They really liked working with her. So that's nice that a woman directed mm. this episode. And it was a bottle show, so it was one of those shows that they do for... Um, cheap. For cheap, and that's why it was a montage of people just sitting in a room because mm. they didn't have a lot of money. And, uh, uh, yeah, and lastly, I guess, is in Auburn Tain, uh, he was meant to be actually a one-off in the same way that Garrick was supposed to be a one-off. Mm. And, but people liked in Auburn Tain so much, they're like, let's bring him around. So he does come back in future episodes, so we get to see him. Is he, but he is retired though, right? I mean... That's what is stated in this episode. Right. So when he... Well, spoilers. I don't I, know. I actually can't remember the full details of mm. his, his life. But we have to remember as viewers that everything we learn about the Cardassians could be a lie. And that's kind of their MO. Mm. They're not like... They're not like the Klingons who will tell us things and just shout at us and, you know, they're, they are liars and that's their, that's their stance on things. So, um, do you have anything else to say about this episode? Not really. Do you have anything further? No. At the end, uh, I have as much information on this as Garrett gave to me about his past life. Which is zero. Which is zero. And we have no idea if he still has problems with his wire in his head it's mm. sort of unresolved it seems like things are fine but it hasn't really been explained what what happened really mm. so but uh we are getting towards the end of this season and i'm looking forward to the next little batch because we're heading into some interesting territory what does that mean i can't tell you michael you're going to have to wait and find out. So once again, thank you for listening. If you'd like to send us an email, please do at rrds9podcast at gmail.com. It's been great. I hope you have a wonderful week, and thanks for listening.